You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. It's been three months since we did an episode of Where is the Line? It's not out of laziness, though. We had actually recorded most of the episode that you're about to hear when Jamie and I learned that our favorite dive bar was closing down. Now, this is a dive bar in Alabama, in the Bible Belt, 35 minutes up the road from Woodstock, Alabama, where Serial's S-Town took place. When we found out that this was happening, Jamie and I took our recording gear, and we spent the last week of Egan's Bar in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, recording 42 of that bar's regulars. The people that we interviewed in this little dive bar did not hold much back. We have incredibly raunchy sex stories, stories of people pooping in what is the nastiest bathroom in Alabama, which is really saying something, illicit drug use. But we also recorded a lot of stories of people lamenting the closing of this place that brought them all together. So if that seems like something you might want to listen to, you can search for it on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. It's called Thick Smoke and loud music. You can also check it out on our website, whereistheline.net. There's a thick smoke and loud music link at the top that you can click on and listen to all three episodes for free. It took all summer to put that shit together. We're finally getting back to Where's the Line now. The episode that you're about to hear includes our first ever Where's the Line road trip, a trip in which Jamie accidentally saw a biker with his dick in his hand. We're really glad to be back to the blood and depravity now, and we really hope you enjoy this episode. The story that I got was just so unbelievable. Me you know, when I was young too, I didn't know, I didn't know what to think. He was cutting trees. He had a couple of them lodged, and he was cutting the third tree to dislodge the first two that he had laying in there. And uh, they broke loose and he kicked back, and he fell on the saw. Everybody drinking blood. Everybody eating brains. Some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones. Some monster party. Thank you for listening to episode four of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me, as always, is Jamie. Say something disturbing, Jamie. The United States healthcare system. Hmm. That's probably disturbing without even hearing this story. But we're going to roll with it. That'll make sense later in the context of what we're going to talk about. All right, so are you ready to get into this episode? Let's do it. Let's do it. That was a weird let's do it for me. Yeah, sorry. Let's do it. Sorry about mine. Today we're going to talk about Forthman Murph. He was a 74-year-old lumberjack from Gatman, Mississippi, who in 1984 accidentally cut his own head almost completely off with a chainsaw and lived. Murph had been a lumberjack for pretty much his whole life, and he liked to brag that he had personally cut down almost 2,000 acres of timber. So the guy knew what he was doing. It wasn't like me outside with a chainsaw. On May 26, 1984, though, uh, he had an accident. It happens. 
he was alone in the woods on this day, cutting down trees like he had been doing for decades. And he came across an especially large tree, and he used his chainsaw to make an angled cut into it to try to ensure that it fell in the direction that it was intended to fall, which it did. But as it was falling, a big branch from the tree that was about 80 feet up broke off and came down really hard on Forthman. And this limb that fell out of the tree knocked him back about 10 feet uh, where he fell into a ditch. And as this tree that he cut was falling down, it hit another tree and that one fell on top of Murph and broke his left leg and also crushed the bones in his left foot. And just for a minute, Forthman Murph passed out. Am I doing something funny? You're laughing at me. No, I just had a thought. <laughs> <laughs> you what? I just had a thought. What? What? No, that's fine. Go on. No, no, no. no. Go What's on. the thought? What is it? The Rube, Gold- the Rube Goldberg Thank machines? You. Sorry, my brain. But don't you imagine this as like a really complicated nature's nature's Rube Goldberg. (laughs) So this tree falls, breaks his left leg, crushes the bones in that left foot, and Forthman Murph passes out for just a minute. And when he comes to, he can hear that his chainsaw is running and the motor is revving like it's actually being used to cut through something. What it was cutting through was Forthman Murph's own neck. And so by the time Forthman wakes up, this chainsaw has cut through his trachea and esophagus, essentially all the way down to his spine. In this path that the chainsaw took through his neck, it went through pretty much everything, including uh, his jugular veins. The only things that were left to attach his head to the rest of his body were his spine, a little bit of tissue on the back of his neck, and the carotid arteries that run up near your spinal column. And this all pissed Forthman Murph off. He said that he uh, threw his damn chainsaw as far as he could and started trying to get on his feet. So his legs broke, his foot's crushed, and his head is essentially cut all the way off and just on by his spinal column. So he gets up and with one hand, he's having to hold his head onto the top of his body because all of those muscles in your neck that do that sort of thing for you have been cut through. As you can imagine, he was in a lot of pain. In an interview later on about this, he said, uh, I thought to myself, I'm going somewhere else. And I hopped off on one foot. My foot was really hurting, but you can't let something like that stop you. I made that thing walk whether it wanted to or not. Yeah, this guy's a badass. <laughs> yeah, this guy is a super badass. He's a badass. <laughs> so this guy gets up, holding his own head on his shoulders, his own almost completely severed head on his shoulders, and he starts hopping through the woods on one leg back to his truck. What would you do if you, <laughs> if you were just hiking through the woods and you see this 74-year-old man... Who probably would have appeared to have a severed head that he's holding on to his body, hopping on one foot through the woods. I would have shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> seems like it's like a it seems like a I, I bet I bet that there are like ghost stories about him in Gatman. You know, the kids are all like, don't go in the woods. It's haunted by a man with that holds his own head on his shoulders and hops on one leg. 
I feel like it's a small enough area that this actually might have been a thing. I wonder if there's some kind of like, uh, you know, how you say, say Bloody Mary under the mirror three times. Yeah. Like if you walk out in the woods and go, like make a chainsaw noise. <laughs> the ghost of Forthman Murph will hop on one leg and chase you down. Yeah, in my town it was devil worshippers. You didn't want to go out in the woods because there were devil worshippers. We out had in the woods. Stemple Road. Stemple Road was the dark road where everybody went to hang out if you want to get a little scared. There was also everybody has a crybaby hollow in their town. Uh, we had one too. It was a little bridge you would go to and you put a candy bar on top of the roof and a dead baby would come and eat the candy bar. And inevitably, when you went down there, like an acorn or some shit would fall on your roof and everybody would flip out. And then you would take off and the candy bar would fall off the roof onto the trunk of the car and make a big banging noise. And then everybody would flip out further. What kind of assholes give candy bars to babies? That's a terrible plan. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense that like a, a, a little infant baby in diapers would be lured by a candy bar. Would have been better if you'd gotten like those glass jars of Gerber, like carrots or something. Get somebody to hold their boob out the window in case it wants to breastfeed. <laughs> That's so high school. That's I know. awesome. Man, I wish I'd have thought of that back then. You know? Right? <laughs> I might have seen a boob in real life before I was 21. That's actually gold. <laughs> How to get some high school girl, like a freshman in high school, to flash her tits. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> hold your boob out the window and a dead baby will come suck on it. Would you have fallen for that in high school? Fuck no. I probably just would have taken my boob out anyway, though. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, I've just been like, why don't you just ask me? <laughs> where the hell were you when I was in high school? Pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Where were we? So, Fourthman Murph, he's hopping out of the woods on one leg, holding his head onto his shoulders. He said that he noticed that the, the blood coming out of his neck was just sort of streaming and not squirting. So he figured that he had a chance to survive. But as he's hopping back to his truck, the blood that, that is coming out of his neck starts flowing down into his windpipe. So several times on his way back to his truck, which was, I think, about 75 feet away, he's having to lean over hold his head back so that the blood can drain out of his windpipe so that he's able to breathe. And he does this several times. He finally makes it to his truck and he takes off and he drives himself over to a neighbor's house. And fortunately, this neighbor was outside in the yard. So Forthman Murph pulls in and gets out of the truck, hops up to this neighbor on one leg. The neighbor, I imagine, was horrified. If I was outside, if I was like cutting the grass and one of my neighbors hopped up to me looking like that, I'd probably just scream and run back in the house. Dude, when I was a kid and I got mauled by the dog, my mom left me in the emergency room to go throw up <laughs> because that was so bad. That was nothing compared to this. Nothing. This is nuts. Yeah, I mean, so Jamie got mauled by a dog <laughs> when she was a kid. And a little bit. I know, I know you bit. can't see her because... Uh, <laughs> You know, this is audio only, but she's horribly disfigured. <laughs> Not really. Jamie's very pretty. So uh, Forthman hops up to this neighbor who is fortunately outside. The neighbor looks at Forthman and says, uh, that guy looks like he needs to go to the hospital. So they load Forthman up in this neighbor's car and they, they take off to this hospital, which is about 20 miles away. This is Gilmore Memorial Hospital. 
So this is a, a rural Mississippi hospital in the town of Amory, which only has a population of about 7,000 people. Murph and this neighbor go inside, and the hospital staff pretty much immediately recognize that they are not equipped to handle what they're looking at. So they do their best to stabilize Forthman, and they load him into an ambulance, and then they head off again to North Mississippi Medical Center, which is about 30 further miles away in Tupelo. Forthman manages to make it to Tupelo alive, which is pretty amazing to everyone. Dr. Roger Lowry, a Tupelo surgeon who tended to Murph, said, you shouldn't be able to cut your head halfway off and drive out of the woods. You ought to bleed to death in two or three minutes. It could have happened to someone out here in the parking lot of the hospital, and they would have died. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> it is pretty impressive. In another interview with the Chicago Tribune, Dr. Lowry added, If I cut someone like that in the operating room and left him open, he could have died in five minutes. And that's with one jugular vein. Mr. Murph had all four jugular veins cut. I didn't know there were four jugular veins. I thought he only had two. Shit, that didn't even occur to me when I was reading about this. You know, if I look this up and it turns out that there are not four jugular <laughs> veins, I am never going to go see Dr. Roger Lowry for anything. <laughs> so from the time that Forthman Murph had this accident to the time that he makes it to this hospital in Tupelo, about two hours had gone by. When Murph arrived in Tupelo, the surgeons there went to work trying to put him back together, which was not easy to do. This wasn't a clean cut through the neck, you know, like if, uh, if you had been almost entirely decapitated by a sword. This was, this was a chainsaw. So rather than being a, a clean cut through the neck, it was more like it had been chewed through by these kind of rigid chainsaw blades. And on top of that, there was uh, sawdust embedded throughout these wounds, which led to several infections setting in. Altogether, it took six surgeries to put Forthman Murph back together. And they apparently did a pretty good job, all things considered. Apart from some nerve damage that made it a bit difficult for him to swallow, he essentially fully recovered from this. By about seven months later, he was able to speak and breathe normally, and he lived another 18 years. He made it all the way to 92 years old. Those 18 years that he got back, though, were not all that great. His wife died in October of the same year that he had this accident. They had been married for 52 years. After she died, he started having some financial troubles. They had been somewhat dependent on her Social Security check to get by. But once she died, apparently they stopped giving him access to that Social Security. I'm, I'm still really confused about that, honestly. That, that's not how that works. So that's weird. We should look into that more before we put it onto the podcast. I looked into it, and it turns out that the rules surrounding Social Security benefits are really fucking confusing. But it seems as though if both spouses are receiving Social Security and one of them dies, the survivor will receive only the larger of the two benefits. So if that's true, and I didn't misunderstand what I read, it seems likely that Forthman and his wife Gladys were both getting Social Security checks, his being the larger of the two. So when Gladys died, her checks stopped coming in, leaving Forthman to rely only on his own benefits. Forthman did have health insurance, but it apparently wasn't that great. It paid for a portion of his hospital bills, but he was still left with some huge medical expenses that ate through what savings he had, uh, which for a Mississippi lumberjack probably wasn't a whole lot to begin with. 
And so uh, you might be thinking, what about workman's comp? Surely he got that. Turns out the Forthman Murph's employer, for whom he was falling these trees, never signed up for workman's comp. So Forthman was not eligible for those benefits. On top of all of that, this employer of Forthman's actually owed him $1,200 in back pay, but he filed for bankruptcy and Murph didn't even get that money either. I can't imagine that this employer did not have enough money to give Forthman Murph the goddamn $1,200 that he owed him. Yeah, the but guy honestly, almost like, cut his whole head exactly, off. Exactly. So he's got some spunk. He's clearly going to be all right. <laughs> what about unemployment <laughs> benefits? Nope. He was not physically able to work or seek future employment, so he wasn't eligible for unemployment benefits either. In fact, uh, about a year after this accident, he was so broke that he could not even afford to buy the glasses that he needed to read. The shitty insurance policy of his paid for the eye exam that he needed, but it wouldn't pay for the glasses. Yeah, I mean, I don't imagine that Forthman Murph is the kind of guy that was holding out for some Dolce and Gabbana's. I mean, I imagine yeah. he would have taken whatever glasses they gave Do him. Do you have eye insurance? Mm-hmm. Ooh, high five. I don't. Yeah, what? mine's pretty shitty, too, though. No, I've still been, like, photoshopping the same prescription picture so I could send it off to the internet companies, just kind of playing with those numbers. And, and oh, you make... photoshop them? You know what I used yeah. to do? Yeah. I used to... Um, <laughs> Because uh, a lot of those internet companies have a policy where if they contact your doctor and your doctor doesn't reply to them, they'll go ahead and send you the glasses or contacts because apparently a lot of doctors are pissed off at the eye exam or at the uh, online eyeglass places for taking a lot of business away from them. Ooh, that's good news. Okay. So, so what I used to do is I would find a, an eyeglass place that shut down. There's one on uh, 82. And I would say that that was the address of my eye doctor. <laughs> And they would try to contact the shutdown eye exam place, and then they would send me my glasses. I've just been, like, kind of playing with my prescription for about four years now. <laughs> I can still drive at night. It's fine. <clears throat> All right, continue. We're talking way too yeah. much about eyeglasses. Just made, like, ten minutes of editing work for you. <laughs> oh, God. It takes me so long to edit these anyway. Fucking sword and scale guy, Mike Boudet, always claimed that it took him 30 hours to ep- edit an episode. And I was like, he's full of shit. And then Fucking 30 hours to edit. It takes me, it takes me longer than that. <laughs> yeah. It takes me way fucking longer than that. You're also a little obsessed, though. So. Mike Boudet's show is way better than ours. It only takes him 30 hours. He has, like, background music. And, like, when he starts talking about something dark, there'll be, like, noises in the background. So. All we have is the <laughs> copyright time machine <laughs> we've got yeah mike Boudet of sword scale does not have copyright compliance time machine the copyright compliance time machine was featured in episode one in case you missed it here's a clip we'd really like to play clips from this oprah winfrey interview for you but i am absolutely certain that we will not get permission from the oprah winfrey show to do that so i'm not even going to ask so what we're going to do instead is we are going to step inside our copyright compliance time machine, and then we're going to come back to you and let you hear our thoughts during and after watching this interview. Are you ready to get in the time machine? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and we're back. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's ridiculous. We have just landed. <laughs> so, fourth member is having all these financial troubles. Can't even afford his own pair of eyeglasses. In addition to that, he, he wasn't able to afford a grave marker for his wife, who we said earlier died shortly after this accident while he was still recovering. And uh, Forthman seemed like a, a guy that had a pretty good sense of humor, but not being able to afford a, a grave marker for his wife seemed to actually bother him quite a bit. Uh, he told a reporter that uh, he didn't really want a lot of money, but he did want just enough money to have a double headstone for his wife and eventually for himself. Murph was uh, hard as nails, though. He didn't seem to let all this turn him into uh, a melancholy, moping asshole like it would have made me. He loved to play his guitar. He continued to do so right up until his death. And according to him, music was his third love coming in right behind Jesus and chainsaws. He never gave up the chainsaws. He was still cutting down trees after he cut his own head almost off. Forthman even kept up that kind of old school Southern humor that a lot of the elderly people around here in the South seem to have. Forthman said to the Chicago Tribune, people tell me that the Lord left you here for a reason. And I ask them what that reason is, but they can't tell me. I can tell you this. I know it wasn't for chasing women or he wouldn't have broken my leg. I love that quote. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. Forthman Rexdale Murph died in January of 2003 at the age of 92. He is buried just across the Mississippi-Alabama state line in Pleasant Ridge Cemetery in Sullivan, Alabama. And that was about all we were able to find about Forthman Murph online and through newspaper databases. That little bit of intel that we dug up, though, painted a pretty interesting character, and we wanted to know more about this badass Mississippi lumberjack with a love of music and a natural gift for absurd humor. So I got on Facebook and started messaging anyone in the Gatman, Mississippi area with the last name of Murph, and I was able to strike up a conversation with Forthman's nephew, Brian who set up a date and time for us to have a conversation over the telephone with Forthman's own eldest son. That day comes around and Jamie and I are huddled in front of the computer. I was nervous about conducting our first ever podcast interview. I think Jamie was too, but it's hard to tell with her. We punched the telephone number into the computer and waited for the exact mutually agreed upon time to the second before we clicked on the call button. Hello. Please leave a message after the tone. So, we set up another day and time to connect, and we tried again. Hello. Please leave a message after the tone. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, <laughs> I actually had this moment today where I thought, this might be the best thing we've done yet. After that, I got back in touch with Forthman's nephew and told him that we weren't having any luck getting a hold of Forthman's son on the phone, and I asked him if he would mind chatting with us himself. He agreed to do that, so we set up a time, and then we gave him a call. I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voice oh, mailbox that has not been set up God. yet. He changed his name. Goodbye. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> <sighs> It's not my fault. Be nice. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to send him a message and be like, what the fuck? 
Fortunately, Brian had just stepped away from the phone for a second. He messaged us a few minutes later and let us know that he was ready. Hello. Hey, is this Brian? It is. Thanks a lot for uh, taking our call. We really appreciate that. My friend Jamie's here with me, too. Hi, Brian. Okay. Hey. Yeah, I grew up uh, two houses down from Uncle Forthman, but yeah, and actually, uh, he was my granddaddy's brother. He was my great uncle. Uh, he was just a character. He was fun to be around. These, uh, and I actually came across a few articles about him and that accent that he had years ago, and I've, I've kind of always wanted to know more about him. We've seen some pictures of him where he's playing the uh, guitar and the harmonica. Uh, <laughs> what kind of music did, did he like to play or listen to? Bluegrass, country, gospel. He could play about anything. He was self-taught. He played the banjo, guitar, harmonica, and never had a lesson. It was just, uh, he could just hear the Hear the notes and play. Was he a good singer, too? Ah, he was all right. <laughs> <laughs> he enjoyed himself. He was the playful favorite uncle for everybody. I mean, he, I never saw Uncle Portman that he wasn't smiling and just uh, full of life and having a good time. Yeah, he seemed like in, those, in the interviews that we saw with him that he was uh, a pretty funny guy. Are there some popular stories about Forthman? People kind of still pass around about him. The favorite thing that uh, we remember about Uncle Fortman as kids was uh, he'd come over to my grandmother's house, which was his sister-in-law's, and uh, his favorite thing was to bet you that he could kick the top of her porch, and he would. <laughs> he would stand flat-footed on the front porch and kick the top of the porch. How high up was it? I don't know. It was taller than his head, and he was like six four. <laughs> 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 I mean, he was just a character. He was fun to be around. As far as, uh, you know, everybody knew him for cutting pulpwood. I mean, that's all he probably knew. Yeah, I saw that he, he said that he thought that he single-handedly cut down 2,000 acres, something like that. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it'd be more than that. I mean, it, that's all he ever did. I mean, from child on, that was his, uh, his way of earning money. He would pretty well hunt and kill whatever meat he ate and grow in the garden, whatever vegetables he ate he'd pretty well just buy cornmeal and flour from the grocery store and he's just he was simple i mean it's just his uh his water supply was a natural spring at the end of his driveway it was two foot wide by two foot wide by two foot deep and he had a well there a little pump there to pump water to the house the water was always crystal clear you could look into it with the white sand in the bottom it looked like it was 20 feet deep which i was only about two foot deep ice cold crystal clear water all the time running out the accent that he had with the chainsaw. How old were you when that happened? Twelve or thirteen, somewhere in that neighborhood. During the summer, I ended up uh, spending a week with him in the hospital. Whenever all this was going on, there was a lot of hospital time, and all the family ended up taking turns spending time with him in the hospital. I know he couldn't speak or anything, but uh, what was his mood like when he was in the hospital? Did he kind of stay upbeat, or did he let it get him down? No, he, I mean, whenever he was able to. Whenever he was able to move around, he was the same Uncle Forthman. I mean, he'd put his finger over his little to you whenever he finally got it. And, you know, he worked enough until he was able to make out noises that you could understand. He even got back to singing eventually. You heard him sing with the trachea band. In this town, uh, Gatman, I looked up the population back in 84 when that happened. It said it was 151. Very that many. I didn't think there was that many, actually. I don't think there is anymore. I think the population's <laughs> down to like 90 now. Yeah, we, well, we've got a post office. 
<laughs> we used to have a little country store, but it closed years ago. Oh, we've actually got a water department, yeah, but it's ran out of a guy's house, and he does whatever repairs whenever he can get to them. And it's just it's simple, it's small, and the type of little town where everybody keeps a list on their refrigerator, and if uh, somebody's going to town, you call and get everybody else's list. And that's town so far. Your great aunt's name was Gladys, right? Yes. We never really saw much much about her um, other than just to mention that she was married to Forthman. What was she like? Quiet. They were pretty much the opposite. He, he liked to aggravate and play. And, yes, yeah, she was just a uh, quiet, uh, stay-at-home mom. We mentioned earlier that Forthman had struggled financially after his accident and that he had told a reporter that he hoped to eventually accumulate enough money to get a joint grave marker for his wife and for himself. In researching this episode, I tried everything I could think of to find out if he got that tombstone, and I was really hoping that he had because it seemed like it was so important to him. But apart from just pretty standard obituaries, there wasn't much printed about Forthman after his death, and sites like findagrave.com noted his burial place, but no one had uploaded any photos of his plot. So when I reached out to Brian, this was one of the first things that I asked him about. And at the time, he told us that Forthman did get that tombstone for Gladys and for himself. We were glad to hear that, and we were going to end the episode with that little piece of information. So, during our call with Brian, I wanted to get him to say a few words about that joint headstone. One of those articles that said that uh, it really bothered him that he wasn't able to buy a grave marker for Gladys, and that he hoped that uh, he'd get enough money to buy a double one for her and eventually for himself. And you told me that they they finally got that. Uh, Do you know how that came to pass? Well, actually, I thought that they had, but I called my dad and talked to him about it. But I did find out that Uncle Charles handmade his casket for him. And as far as the headstone, I really don't know. I mean, I haven't been back out there in several years, so I don't know. Once that happened, I just said, fuck it, let's take a road trip. Believing that Jamie would be driving, I put together this mobile recording rig with a boom arm that could be attached to her car's console so that we could record on the road. Unfortunately, though, Jamie's car needed new tires, so we had to take mine. So we're going on the first Where's the Line road trip. (laughs) What do you think about that? I think it's awesome. We're uh, going in the perfect vehicle for audio recording. Jeep Wrangler. Soft top. Predictably, once we got up to about 50 or 60 miles an hour, there was a pretty dramatic drop-off in the audio quality. We're on our way, Sullivan. Traveling, where is the line? Studio. Riding in Kevin's tent. Yep. (laughs) And almost immediately, my pessimism starts setting in. So what if we get here and we can't find the tombstone? We'll find it. That he did, he wasn't able to get Gladys a grave marker at all. Then, yeah, he didn't know. So what if he didn't get one either? Well, then we get to go to Soldier, Alabama. <laughs> uh, we'll just take a picture of some grass. Say that's where it is. <laughs> no one will know any different. <laughs> yeah. Soldier, Alabama, is only about an hour and a half away from where we started. One might think that in the computer age with GPSs and satellite communication that Jamie and I could manage a 90-minute road trip without incident. 
Nope. So, what just happened? <laughs> Are you recording? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... How long have we been on the road right now? <laughs> for about two hours, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin has had me navigating to a cemetery called Pleasant Grove Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where should we be going? Is it Pleasant Ridge Cemetery, Kevin? Yes, I believe we should have been going to Pleasant Ridge Cemetery this entire time. <laughs> oh, God damn it. How far are we off of... <laughs> so, uh, this has been an excellent first podcast review. <laughs> <laughs> pulling up this obituary again. Mr. Forthman Murph, age 92, of Gatton, Mississippi, passed away Monday, January 20th, 2003, at Baptist Memorial Hospital in Columbus, Mississippi. Funeral services will be held Wednesday, January 22nd, 2003, at 11 a.m. at Ott's Funeral Home Chapel with burial in Pleasant Ridge Cemetery. <laughs> what was about to be uh, the last... 30 minutes of our trip is now going to be a probably an extra hour. What? We're, so we finally get back on track and make it to within about 15 minutes of our destination. And then this goes down. That bathroom had one working stall. So we're in Vernon, Alabama, sitting outside of a McDonald's. Why are we at a McDonald's, Jamie? <laughs> uh, because we tried the gas station across the street, which had one bathroom with no lock on the door. So I opened the door and was met by a biker with a penis in his hand. <laughs> so I chose to come across the street. Before the biker came out of the bathroom. It wasn't a very impressive penis. <laughs> this road trip's going so well. <laughs> <laughs> Next stop, Pleasant Ridge. Ridge, not Grove, Ridge. Somehow, against all obstacles, we finally managed to make it to Pleasant Ridge Cemetery. Jamie and I have just arrived at Pleasant Ridge Cemetery. Finally. All right, so we're going to walk around and look for what will hopefully be Forthman Murph and Gladys Murph's combined headstone. This cemetery turns out to be quite a bit larger than we'd expected, and after browsing for quite a while, we started getting discouraged. I'm not seeing anything. Maybe it'd be easier if people actually died in alphabetical order. Oh, that's, that's This it. is it. <laughs> Forthman Rexdale. And Gladys. And Gladys. Danner. We found it. We found it. So right now Jamie and I are standing in front of the joint tombstone of Gladys and Forthman Murph. I'm glad they got that joint tombstone. Me too. I was afraid we were going to come out here and just find one for Forthman and not one for her because said she didn't even get one originally, right? Yeah. But he did it. He did it. I mean, obviously somebody's been out here. 
Mm-hmm. There's flowers. A lot on of it. flowers. I'm kind of interested in this little cage over here where it's just bouquets of flowers. There's a cage about 30 yards from here where it looks like they just throw away the old flowers, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe that's where you pick them up. <laughs> if you can't afford them, you just go fishing. Yeah, out of just there. go get some out of the. Maybe we should go get one, put it on Murph's grave. Sure. Let's do that. All right. Be an activity. <laughs> yeah, we didn't drive all the way out here. I don't know what I'm allergic to here. To not do activities. Jamie and I pulled the nicest of the cast-aside polyester bouquets from that chicken wire bin, and we walked back up to Murph's tombstone. There we go. There you go, Fortman. <laughs> I don't think he would have minded. No, I don't think so either. Didn't seem like the guy would be upset about something like that. Looking back, we should probably have had the foresight to bring flowers of our own to leave with Forthman and Gladys. Of course, all we know about them is what we were able to find in newspaper clippings and from their nephew. But even with just that little bit of knowledge, I feel like we were able to glean some small sense of Forthman's character. He was without a doubt a hard worker and someone for whom life was filled with obstacles and misfortunes. Unlike a lot of people, though, it didn't seem like he ever let these things make him cold. He loved his wife. He loved to sing and play music, even if by some accounts he may not have been overly gifted at the singing part. And he had a fantastic sense of humor. I think that a secondhand polyester flower would have been just fine by Forthman Murph. Or at the very least, maybe he would have thought it was funny. Like I said earlier, I mean, the biggest thing about Uncle Forsman to me was, I mean, he was just the, he was the fun uncle, the one that we always wanted to be around. I mean, we couldn't get enough time with him. I mean, he'd just light you up, just, you know, being around him. I mean, I can't even mention his name or think of him without laughing or smiling. I mean, that was just his personality. I mean, he, you couldn't be around him without being happy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Where is the Line? If you enjoyed the episode, you can visit us on Facebook, or you can check out our website at whereistheline.net, where we'll post a few photos of our road trip, including one of Forthman and Gladys's joint headstone. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can do that at info at whereistheline.net. We'd originally planned to put out one of these episodes every two weeks, but that's not working out. So we will work very hard on the next one and get it out just as soon as we can. So you might want to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or whatever podcasting app that you use. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under your bed.